Last week I started with a question. And the question was based in Romans 10.9. Anyone remember the question? No? Why don't you remember the question, Evelyn? Oh. Well, in Romans 10.9, it says, If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you'll be saved. The single most important question you'll ever have to answer is, how do you know if you've done this? And what we saw as we went into Romans 9 was where uh, Romans 10, we're moving from divine election to willful disobedience. The Jews rejected the gospel by willful disobedience. And there were three steps in that willful disobedience. The first step was they didn't know who God was. You guys remember that? Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. I think I spent half an hour on verse 1, right? I got some groans there. And I thought I'd revisit that and do it again this week to drive home the point. You good with that, Roy? Drone. Drone. Well, he says, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to what? Knowledge. So their first step in denying the gospel was they didn't know God. Well, step two and three we'll get to today, and God willing, we'll get to the answer. It says, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Number one, if you don't know who God is, leads to number two. Number two is, you don't know the righteousness of God. And I'm going to blow by this pretty quick, because I, I want to draw you into the conversation a bit today. But if you don't know God, you don't know the holiness of God. And if you don't know the holiness of God, you don't know how much God hates sin. You say, how much does God hate sin? How much does God hate sin? A lot. A lot. When you think of righteousness, think of holiness, and to understand that the only way to have a relationship with God whereby you are saved is to meet God's holy standard of perfection. God hates sin. How much does God hate sin, you ask? How much does God hate sin? A lot. I already answered that. Why are you asking it again? We talked about Uzzah. Remember Uzzah and the ark and Uzzah got dead because Uzzah's hand was dirtier than the dirt. We talked about Ananias and Sapphira. We talked about the firstborn in Egypt. We talked about the fact that God hates sin. How much does God hate sin, you ask? See, she said a lot. She's fast. We, we, <laughs> you're a good, obedient child. Me, I love you. The Jews didn't understand the righteousness of God, and they thought they could muster up their own righteousness based on works. People around us don't understand the righteousness of God because they say, well, if you live a good enough life, God will accept you, right? But church, we don't understand the righteousness of God because we tolerate sin, do we not? Do, do we not? <laughs> do we pursue it? Do we purchase it? Are we enticed by it? Do, do we think about it? Do we not even think about it? My friends, the righteousness of God is substantial. And we'll get back to this in a minute. But I want you to get this. You must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect, right? Do you know what the best you can muster to God is? Ida beged. Ida beged. Melanie, don't worry, honey, you too. You know what Ida Beget is? Isaiah 64, 6. Polluted garments. The best you can give to God is polluted garments. I'm not going to get into to the Hebrew meaning of Ibet, 
That's a proper pronunciation, but I'll say it. I'm not going to get into what Ida Beged means, literally, but it's nasty. And the best you can offer God on your own is nasty Ida Beged. And in order to be right with God, you got a problem. What's the problem? God is who he says he is. God demands that you must be perfect as he is perfect. The Jews didn't understand who God was. They didn't understand the righteousness of God. And step three to rejecting the gospel is, you miss the provision of God. Verse four, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. What the heck does that mean? Oh, it's beautiful. It means that God gave his law to show you what you had to do to be right with him. You following me? God gave his law to show you what you had to keep perfectly to be right with him. And then to show you that you can't. And then to show you that Christ did on your behalf. Then Paul goes back to Moses, and in verse 5, he's in Leviticus. He's saying, if you want to be right by the law, you've got to keep the whole law. That's Leviticus 18 that he's unpacking there. Then he goes to Deuteronomy 30. It says, the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart who will ascend, right? That is to say, who will bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. He's saying, if... You want to be right with God. You need to understand the provision of God. What's the provision of God? Jesus. Not a trick question. The provision of God? The empty cross, the empty tomb, the risen Lord Jesus. Amen. The best you could do is polluted garments, but Jesus, on your behalf, kept the law perfectly from a pure heart. Okay? The law is required for you to be saved. You must keep the law perfectly if you will be saved. And you can't keep the law perfectly. What do you do? You turn to Christ to be saved. Amen? You bring your Ida Beged to God, and He gives you His righteousness. It's a grand transaction. Sounds good, right? You all ready to have your head spun around? How do you know if verse 9 is true of you? Who here, who here has believed in their heart that God raised Jesus from the dead? See, now I'm going to look. If you don't have your hands up, I'll come smack you with the Bible. This guy here, he's not have his hand. Who, I think he's good, though. I'll go. Who here believes it, that Jesus rose from the dead? Who here can say this? Listen, Jesus is Lord, verbally. Can you say that? that. Let me hear it. Jesus is Lord. So you're all saved, mandatory, because you said you believed it and you said it with your mouth. James 2, go ahead and rip that out of your Bible. It's just such an awkward chapter. Because, don't, don't, I don't want to hear ripping. In James 2, God talks about this thing called demon faith. And demon faith is this. Demons believe all the attributes of God are true. Demons believe that Scripture is the Word of God. Demons believe that Jesus rose from the dead. Demons fear God. Demons want to be alleviated of suffering. Demons want to not have anxiety or pain. Are they saved? No. Can a demon... 
believe in their heart that Jesus rose from the dead? Can a demon confess Jesus is Lord? Yeah, read the Gospels. Guys, I don't know how to explain the text. Have a good week. So, what's the difference between demon faith and saving faith? Oh, this is beautiful and scary. Trust. Why are you going to kill the Latin? I have 30 more minutes of material and you blast it out. Why, why believe that he rose from the dead? Why not that he was born of a virgin? Why not that he was killed? Why, why not? If you believe in the resurrection, you believe Jesus was who he said he was. Did what he said he would do. And it is perfectly accomplished. Why confess with your mouth? What does that mean? Go ahead, Jim, say it again. Trust. Trust. It's not a verbal proclamation. It's trusting with your whole life. That you are submitting your life, listen to me, to the Lordship of Christ. Do you you hear me? It's not assenting to fact. It's saying to Jesus, not my will, but yours be done. What about when Jesus says, don't do that? What do you say? Say that, Jim. You got it. Yes, sir. What about when he says, do this? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Well, I got two men back here, right? They understand how, how command works, right? If you guys are given an order by a commanding officer, do you have a discussion? <laughs> yeah. Sir, I'm not so sure. I feel like doing that. I don't know how boot camp will go. Give me 20 push-ups. No. I'll do five. How, how would that turn out? Oh, well, five's better than okay. Listen, we have, we live in a time where we have convinced too many people that demon faith is saving faith. It's not. But how do you do what Jesus says? How, how do you submit to the authority of Christ? Is it dogged willpower? Nope. Well, how do you do it, man? You get on a plane. Don't you have to trust to be saved? Oh, oh, good question, Pastor. Do you have to try to just make it up? Do you have to trust to be saved? You got to get in the ark. Yeah, I'm asking. I want you guys to work with me here. Do you have to trust to be saved? Yes. Yes. No. No. You hear me? I said no. But if you're saved, will you trust? Yeah. Why? Flip over to Deuteronomy 30. That's what Paul referenced. Y'all were probably reading that this morning. I'm hoping I'm right here. Verse 6. And the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul that you may live... Guys, I feel like the church, not just our church, but I feel like the church needs a giant wake-up call, a loving wake-up call, a a rebuke from the Lord, Revelation 1 through 3 style. If you love Jesus, you will obey Jesus because he saved you to obey him. Amen? Amen. It's not, I don't want to do it. Jesus says, I don't care. I, I don't feel up to it. Jesus says, I don't care. But I'm not so sure. Remember the rich young ruler? 
Pastor's getting a little worked up here. Because yeah. I was frustrated all week having to study this text by myself and get smacked by the Holy Spirit. The rich young ruler. You heard about him last week. Jesus says to him, he says, what do I have to do to be saved? You got to keep the law. Well, which ones? This, this, and this. Oh, I did all that. What else do I have to do to be saved? Go sell all your stuff. What happened? Remember what happened? He, let couldn't, do stuff. he couldn't do it. He walked away. How do we know the rich young ruler wasn't saved? Careful with your answer here. How do we know he wasn't saved? He couldn't do it. He picked riches over God, but go deeper than that. He did not submit to the authority of Christ. Oof, now hang on. Well, what if Jesus told me to sell everything and give it to the poor? Would I do it? Oof. Would you do it? Would you do it? I hope you say no. Because that's where you see salvation. The answer that the rich young ruler should have given was, Lord, I can't. I want to. I can't. What do I do? Jesus would circumcise his heart. He would give him a new heart. He would give him a wrestle and a struggle and a tension and a power to go and do what Jesus told him to do. If Jesus told you to sell all your stuff and you were saved, do you know what you would do? You would sell your stuff. Not because you can, but because he empowers you to. Now, now church, here's the problem. Too often, we neglect the word of God. We sin by omission, not just commission. You could Google that if you want. We sin by not knowing what sin is. Ignorance of sin. Listen to me. Jesus invites us to something so much better than what the world has to offer. The world says, come and drink at our well. Jesus says, no. The flesh says, but that sounds good. Jesus says, deny the flesh and walk in the spirit. Amen? Amen. Confess with your mouth as evidenced by your action that Jesus is Lord. He's got something so much better than that. Well, why is it so hard? Well, what makes it so difficult for us? Well, in, in one respect, Gosh, I have so much to say here. I wish I could show you my notes from this week. Man, I was, I was, mm, I'm excited. What makes this hard is that we don't discipline ourselves to run the race. Yeah, you ever see a marathon runner who Netflix binges 24-7? They eat Ben and Jerry's all the time. They buy running shoes, but they don't ever wear the running shoes. How well would that go? Paul has fought the good fight. He's run the race. He disciplined himself. My friends, imagine this. If you, if you heard a concert pianist playing away, what's it sound like? Playing away, and you're, you're watching, and you're going, I wish I could do that. And then someone sat down next to you and said, oh, that's actually you. If you will practice, if you will discipline yourself, if you will train yourself, that's you in five years. Would you be motivated? My friends, do you know what God calls us to? If you will discipline yourself, if you will train yourself, if you will work hard, look at Jesus. 
That's you. Don't distort what I said there. That is you in the sense of someone who truly loves God and loves people and lives a fully human life. Remember, none of us are straight. Only Jesus is straight. God saves us to be straight, and by his power we will be straight. But it doesn't just happen by you sitting in Netflix binge-watching. It requires dying to self, walking in God's will. Where in God's will today are you walking in sin? Listen to that. Where and what you know you should be doing today are you walking in sin? And I don't mean like you're plotting to rob a bank and kill the person you have duct taped in your closet. I, I mean, if anyone is in that situation, see me after the service, okay? And I'm not, trust me. I mean the, the little tiny sins. The, the ones are like, you know, when, when you wake up in the morning and you're like, I don't want to read the Bible, I got Facebook. Or the Sunday morning when you're like, oh, church is just, those people are annoying. Not here, not here. You know, it's, I'm, I'm going to Bedside Baptist. Or I feel like the Lord wants me to build a relationship with my neighbor, but neighbors are just disgusting people. <laughs> or, you know, that person really looks hopeless and despondent, and, and I see an opportunity to share the gospel, but eh, that just might blow up on me. You know what I'm talking about? Why do we stop? Do you know why we stop? Because we don't know who God is. We, we don't understand the, the holiness of God. We don't understand the predicament that we were in apart from Christ. Did you hear the song? I am a friend of God. He knows my name. He calls me friend. You know what I hate about that thong, thong, song? <laughs> We just sing it too fast. Yahweh, the great I am, the God who dropped Uzzah dead, the God who, who, who Sodom and Gomorrah kaplats, the firstborn of Egypt stomped, Assyrians demolished, that God calls me friend because he sent his son so he might be propitious towards me? I am a friend of God? And we're like, yeah, I'm a friend. No! No, don't do that. You stop it. I'm not worthy. Why me? How me? You let that gospel drive you. Now when Jesus says, do this, don't think of your nasty dad on a bad day with a temper. Think of a loving Savior who gave his life so you might live. Saying to the kid, don't drink the toilet water, drink the cup of water. You're drinking toilet water. Sin is sipping toilet water. Abiding in Christ is drinking from the well of life. How do you know if you're saved? Well, you believe Jesus rose from the dead. I don't know if you know this, but he really is risen. He's risen now, now, I'll say that again. He's risen. I don't worship a concept. I worship a risen Lord, a living Lord, a Lord who has his eye upon me, who prays for me, a God who dwells in me. He is really risen. If he's not really risen, we are the most pitiful people in the world. 1 Corinthians 15. But he did rise. How often do we go through life pursuing what the world offers us? Do, Do we have a theology of anything well anymore? 
You, you, you know, I, I'm going to ask you a three-by-five card question in Sunday school. Remember the what is the gospel one? I'll give you one today. Blow your socks off, too. But I'll give you a couple others. Why did God create work? It's a hard question, isn't it? Everybody, everybody have a job? Or looking for a job? Why, why did God give us jobs? Now, if you don't know the answer to that, the world will tell you the answer. Why, why did God give us a church? If you don't know the answer to that, God will, God will uh, have the, I'm sorry, the world will give you another answer to that. It's not to come and consume buffet style. It's to come and die. Why, why did God give us spouses? Why did God give us singleness? Why did God give us kids? How about retirement? You have a theology of retirement? See, if you don't have a theology of it, the world will give it to you. And if the world gives it to you, you're going to drink toilet water. Jesus says, please stop. I mean, my dogs do it. But then when I discovered I do it, Jesus says, get your head out of the toilet. I love you too much. I saved you for so much more. My friends, a moment of sanity here. Why do we find the world lapping toilet water so enticing? Does anybody here want to be filthy rich? You know you do. It's why you're working so hard. Anybody here want to be famous? Anybody want the approval of man? Everybody want, anybody want to go on vacations around the world to find rest on a private jet? Now that one I'm going to justify somehow biblically, but... Do you understand, while those things aren't necessarily bad, they're just things, and they don't satisfy the desires that God put into our hearts? Do you know what satisfies that desire? Christ. You want to be rich? Jesus saved you to incredible wealth. Not prosperity gospel style. The timing is off. John MacArthur had a great line, If you're living your best life now, you're going to hell. You can chew on that one. That one's pretty good. You all with me? My friends, you know Romans 10.9 is true of you if your life is submitted to the Lordship of Christ. Think about the culture we live in. I'll tell you this. How many people do you know, and, and be careful with this. Actually, just look at yourself. We'll do it this way. I shared with you demon faith, right? A demon, if you go to any biblical church's statement of faith on their website, the devil himself would affirm every statement on it. Do you understand that? I mean, chew on that for a minute. I swear the devil would be hired as a pastor in most churches. He's clever, crafty, he knows how to manipulate people, and he affirms sound doctrine. Just saying. But listen to me. The devil cannot submit to the sovereign rule of Christ as Lord and Savior of his life. No demon can do that because Jesus didn't come to save demons. Jesus came to save people. And, and understand, I'm in Romans 10, but 34 previous weeks I've worked my way up to Romans 10. So I'm thinking of just re-preaching them. It frees up the next nine months of my Sundays. What you have to understand, Romans 1, 2, 3, you stink! Right? We pivot in three. But God... And we see the beauty of Christ and how Jesus makes disgusting, filthy toilet drinkers cup drinkers. And then we get to Romans 7, and Paul says, I keep drinking out of the toilet, but I want to drink out of the cup, but the toilet looks good. Oh my God, I don't know what I'm doing. Who will save me from this toilet drinking? Thanks be to God for Christ Jesus. And then Romans 8, we see the Holy Spirit. 
And then we have the subjection of the Jews who were not chosen by God. And then we see that the Jews were willfully unbelieving people. I don't know your heart. I don't know. Maybe someone here has never trusted in Christ. Understand you are willfully choosing to lap toilet water because you don't know who God is. You don't understand the righteousness of God, so you can't see the provision of God. And what I want you to understand is that God is so much holier than you can comprehend. He hates sin so much more than you can fathom. But he loves you more than you can ever understand. And he loves you so much that he sent his son to die for you. He sent his son to take the full drink of the toilet water so that you might drink clean water. He sent his son to take his wrath upon you so you might not ever have to receive that wrath. He came to make you not just free from death, but save you to life in Christ. And if that doesn't entice you to a giant, wow, I'm so unworthy, you're not hearing me clear. To those of us who are saved, how easily we forget who we were saved from and what we were saved to. You, you, you know, the world runs after all this stuff, and Solomon had it all. And I don't know that Solomon would be like, it was awesome, follow me. No way in heaven that he would say that. He wasn't singing everything is awesome. No, he, he was singing everything is awesome, until everything wasn't so awesome. You know what a Christian is? We sing everything's going to be awesome. <laughs> and one day you'll sing everything is awesome. And you'll look back and you go, well, wait a minute. Even back then it was awesome. That just doesn't work as well for the song. My friends, if you believe in your heart that God raised Jesus from the dead, understand that that means you're not alone. That he is with you. That he is a very present help in time of trouble. Listen, do you understand who provides for all of your needs? I had a famous line of, I, I didn't want to be a pastor. I like to work by myself in a corporate structure so I could generate my own money. Because, see, I trust God to provide money. I just don't trust him to use people. That was my line back in the day. And come to think of it, there was an extra zero in my paycheck. But anyway, do you know the problem with that logic? God's sovereign. To say that I trust God to provide, but God can't provide. Listen, God can provide water through a rock. If, if you are trying to provide for yourself, stop. God says, stop. Let me provide for you because you can't do it. If you're trying to find meaning or identity or purpose in life apart from Christ, stop. Because you can't do it, God says, I'll do that for you. And when we fail, when we refuse, when we choose to submit to the Lordship of Christ, it just means we're acting crazy. We're not understanding our identity in Christ. My friends, I read a, a testimony this week, and, and the closing line was quite amazing. Praise the Lord, I gave my life to him, that he might add or delete whatever necessary that I might be conformed to his image and be used to glorify him. Think about that. I gave my life to him that he might add or delete whatever necessary that I might be conformed to his image and be used to glorify him. The man whose testimony that was 
had been an upstanding member of a church for 35 years. That is a prayer I remember when I first came to faith. And listen to my wording. When I first came to faith, that was a prayer I could not pray. It was a prayer I wanted to pray, but it was a prayer that I couldn't pray. Because I didn't understand the beauty of the gospel as fully as I could, or should, or would. But now, that's a prayer I don't want to pray, but God enables me to pray hesitatingly, fleetingly, but consistently. And I have seen him faithfully stand true to his word. Listen to this. Challenge to you, church family. I'm talking to believers, right? I want to challenge you guys. We live in a, we live in a culture where the gospel slowly disappearing. We, we live in a, in a church culture where entertainment is king. I have the smoke machine on order. It should be here in two weeks. <laughs> you don't need stuff when you got Christ. You, you, don't, you don't need to be entertained if, if you're being sanctified. There's nothing wrong with being entertained. There's going to be a moon bounce for the love of God. I'm telling you. You can even have a smoke machine. I'm not, I'm not ordering a smoke machine. You can even have a smoke machine. But listen to me. Jesus is so much better. Do you see how much better he is? Where, where, where in your life, church family, listen to me. Do you hear that word, church what? Family. Church what? Family. Dang, really? Brothers and sisters in Christ. Do you know that Christ calls us to love one another as he's loved us? And by that, the world will know that we are his disciples. Oh, man, does he mean that? Are you, listen to me, are you relationally, covenantally committed to one another for the glory of God as he calls you to? Now, you may be saying, but I don't want to. Well, what does Jesus say to that? I don't care. Hmm. <laughs> now, now, listen to me, I, I got to tell you. I have had the privilege of being in this church family for almost 14 years. We, we used to, I mean, we had, this was like the front, this was where we started. Not, not these literal people, <laughs> some pretty close. There were just a few of us. We used, to, we used to sit around a small table. We used to have Bible study in the living room and eat sakatumi cake. And, and, and we had a bad experience where the giggle fit came on. I mean, we, we've lived a lot of life together, some of us. And others have just entered into living life alongside us. And I'll tell you what, when you live life alongside people, it's a great opportunity to learn what love is. Because people will frustrate you. People will annoy you. People will do wrong by you. But Jesus don't say run. Jesus says love. And do you know what happens when you start to love people as Christ calls you to? You start to see that Jesus knows what he's talking about. There is a, a joy to be had when we live as Christ calls us to. It's a stewardship issue. This life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And the world says, and the devil says, remember Adam and Eve? Eve, eat that fruit. You're not going to die. What did she say? Well, 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 God said don't. Well, why did she eat it? How did that work out for her? You eat the fruit too. Jesus says, spit it out. 
Spit it out. My friends, in all the stuff you got, you got abilities, you got intellectual abilities, you got finances entrusted to you, you have relationships before you, you what, what are they for? For the glory of God. If, if you're just living life on a Sunday in a church and between the Sundays in pursuit of another king, there's a problem. And the problem can be one of two things. The problem might be you don't know Jesus. Or the problem might be you're saved by Jesus, but you don't know him like you should. There's an invitation here. If you believe in your heart that Jesus rose from the dead and confess with your mouth that he is Lord, you will be saved. Do you trust? See, I told you I had 30 minutes and you summed it up. Do you trust Jesus in every area of your life? And if not, why? Why would you not trust Jesus? I'll give, give you a story here. It's not in my notes. Be careful with this. Years and years ago, so, so when I came to faith, a lot of you know I came from a big old church. I came to faith in a, a church of about three to 4,000 people. There was a lot going on. There were three campuses. There were 11 services on Sunday. And, and, you know, I was a good little Jewish boy, knew enough scripture that they kept trying to put me in leadership positions. Well, I was indoctrinated into this American church culture. And you have to actually go up on the platform when you pass 1,000 people, just so you know. And there were all these programs, and there was all this kid stuff, and, and we have three kids. And I went to seminary. We came, and, and long story short, God had us start this church, and my kids have never had the opportunity to have 50 other peer-age kids of their demographic with them every single Sunday and Wednesday. And they've had a, a, a watching of a transient culture where kids come, kids go, kids come, kids go. And Laura and I used to wonder years ago, well, what is this going to do to our kids? Could they really love Jesus if they just constantly watch people come and go? And I remember it was a, a, a comment that they made about, about two ladies in the church. I remember if it was Cameron or JJ, they were really little. Well, I don't know if they were ever truly little. They were smaller at the time. And they said, Mrs. Mrs. Hammond, Mrs. Bonsall, they're like family. We can count on them. And what I've seen is, listen to this. I've seen the Lord work in ways that the culture says can't work. I've seen the Lord work in a multi-generational family fellowship to make the gospel real to my own children, in my own life. And I've seen him do this in your lives as well. And I've seen God work in your lives in other areas of life as well, be it vocationally, be it relationally, relationally be it, be it uh, in leisure time. Jesus knows what he's doing. Will we trust Jesus in it? Now, I'm not saying there's no planning and no structured life. And I'm not saying it's wrong to have 50 peer-age kids around. Don't misunderstand me here. But what I'm saying is peer-age kids don't, don't save. A certain lifestyle doesn't save. Things don't save. Jesus saves. And Jesus provides for all of our needs. You may, you know, Jerry and Sherry, going to go see them tomorrow. But you would think, well, well, how can God do that if he loves them? Well, God's doing that because he loves them. God will stick you in the hospital in rehab and rehab and assisted living for a year and a half because he loves you. You don't know what he's doing? Trust him. Because when you look on the back end, you see, oh, that wasn't really a waste of time. It was a missionary journey. 
and it was a heck of a lot of pruning going on. And how wonderful when, when I hear this week that, that Jerry and Sherry were back at their house last weekend. And they had a barbecue and a swim party. No, they didn't swim. And Jerry left the house saying, I got to get back home now. Uh, you, you, you see, friends, where in our lives are we not trusting Jesus? Where are we not confessing with our mouths that Jesus is Lord? I want to invite you, church. I want to invite you to walk corporately, lockstep with one another as we follow Christ in this. Where are we not confessing Jesus is Lord? Let's let grace overcome it. How marvelous that we serve a God who doesn't grade us on our performance. How awesome that we serve a God who, who, who comes up to us lovingly and he reaches down, takes us by the back of the shirt and says, son, I told you to stop drinking toilet water. Come on. And he walks us over and he wipes off our face and he hands us a cup. Every single time you stick your head in the toilet, he will restore you from the toilet to the cup. And little by little, you will stop drinking toilet water and drink from the cup. And do you know what happens as you drink from the cup? You go and get people from the toilet and give them the cup too. Amen? Amen. That's called evangelism and discipleship. What irritated me this week is that too often people are presented with a false gospel of demon faith. I, I cannot tell you the, the number of times I've run into people who are in dire struggles, who have made a cacophony of messes in their life because they don't understand what the gospel really is. They don't understand who God truly is, the holiness of God, and the provision of God in Christ Jesus. They've never had that heart circumcised, that Ezekiel, that new heart. They don't understand. Remember John 3? John 3, was it 6 or 7? Jesus says, you must be born anew. They, they've never understood what it means to be born anew. The evidence of being born anew is for the lost person, Jesus says, do this. They say, shut your mouth. To the saved person, Jesus says, do this. And they say, ugh but I don't want to. And he says, I know you don't, but trust me and do it. And we struggle. And as we mature, we begin to do. My friends, I want something so much more for all of us. I want us to understand who Christ is. I, as a Jew, understand the problem here. As a believer, I see the solution here. And we'll close it up. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them, the Jews, is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. This is Leviticus 18.5, if you want to note it for study this week. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. Meaning, if you want to be saved by the law, keep it all. But the righteousness based on faith says, and now he quotes Deuteronomy 30, Do not say in your heart who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, 
or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you in your mouth and in your heart. That is a word of faith that we proclaim. Because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. I'll close you on that last part. The negative and the positive aspects of salvation here. With the heart one believes and is justified. Justified is a positive word. And you need to understand this positionally, who you are in Christ. You are justified. You, you have the righteousness of Christ that has been imputed upon you. Even as a person who sticks your head in the toilet, God still loves you as a son. And God will not have to have you pay a penalty for drinking that toilet water because Christ did it on your behalf. You are in Christ. Then the negative. With the mouth one confesses and is saved. Saved from the wrath of God. Justified to be a child of God. So Jim could have preached this apparently in 30 minutes less. How do you know if you have answered the question posed in verse 9 correctly? It boils down to this. Do you trust Jesus? And as you trust him, do you understand how you're able to trust him? That's Romans 1 through 5. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, please help us. Help us to see, Lord. Help us to see clearly who you are. Lord, our life is filled with circumstances that can either overwhelm us or entice us or distract us. We have, we have bills that we think we can't pay. We, we have trials we think we can't persevere through. We, we have exciting moments we can't wait to get to and don't want to get out of. We have opportunities the world throws at us that, that, that we think will satisfy. Lord, help us to slow down and see things through your eyes. Lord, help us to understand that you are exactly who you say you are. Help us to trust that you will do exactly what you say you will do. And Lord, help us to rejoice in the fact that we are actually in Christ. Help us to understand, Lord, that you will care for us as your children perfectly. For we carry your name. We carry your reputation And you've saved us to put us on display. Lord, help us rest in the finished work of Christ. Help us trust in the promises of Christ. Help us to walk in your commandments. And Lord, help us to understand there is another purpose of the law for those who are saved. They are the rails upon which we are to ride. We are not saved from keeping your law. We're saved from having to keep your law to be right with you, to being people who have been empowered by you to keep your law so that we might enjoy you. Lord, help us. We are easily distracted. We are incredibly weak. We can relate to a dog that that toilet water looks appealing at times. 
Lord, save us from our insanity. Help us to live fully human lives. Help us to live like Christ. Christ is one who trusted you, Lord God, who walked in the power of the Holy Spirit, and who finished the work that you set before him on this earth. Lord, we praise you and thank you for that. And we rejoice that we, as your children, walk in the same power that rose Christ from the dead. Help us to understand that. Help us to walk in light of that. And I pray, Lord, that you might grow us into a joyful people who rejoice in all circumstances because we understand who you are, who we are, and what we will one day be in Christ. Lord Jesus, to you alone be the glory and power and dominion forever and ever. And it is in your holy and precious name that we pray. Amen.